Hi, this is Apparently Not, the uncensored podcast about motherhood in all its naked glory. The ups and downs, the honest and sometimes shocking truth about the beautiful, chaotic adventure of being a parent. If you're looking for yet another podcast that tells you how to parent and what you could be doing better, this is not it. We are here to offer a safe space for everyone, but mostly us, to share, whinge, rant about the struggles, the unexpected turns, but also the complete joys of being a parent that you probably won't read from a book. In fact, what we want to do is to share the raw, personal stories from our own experiences to show you that everyone's journeys of parenthood is different and almost certainly will not follow what you read to a T. Especially in the times of COVID where maybe you had a certain vision of how things were going to go, or maybe you had planned to join a mother's group and now you can't, or to have family close by but you're separated by oceans. We just want to say what you're feeling is normal. We're right in the trenches with you and one way or another, it's all going to be okay. So now a little bit about ourselves. I'm Amy. I became a mother a year ago to a beautiful, cheeky little girl called Layla. I currently live in Singapore with my husband. I'm a lawyer by profession, so I read and analyze for a living. But I found no amount of reading material was enough to prepare me for parenthood. And in fact, I was led to make some very misled assumptions by what I read. And I'm Angela. I recently had my first baby girl named Gabby, who just turned four months old. I live in Australia and I work as a doctor, but despite witnessing births, C-sections and looking after little babies, I did not feel that it prepared me in any way for everything that was to come. So without further ado, let's dive right in. We thought for the first episode it would be quote-unquote fun to start with our birth stories. But be warned, we will not be filtering anything out. We'll be talking blood, gunk, poos, all that fun stuff. Now, even though we are discussing birth stories, we want to start by doing a shout-out to all the different kinds of parents out there. Step-parents, same-sex parents, parents who adopted or went through a surrogate, or parents of rainbow babies. No matter what road you took to being a parent, we see you and you rock. Okay, now on with the segment. Okay, well, let's get into it. Let me just set the scene first. This was pre-COVID in Singapore. I had access to first-class healthcare. I had my husband, my mom with me. She had flown over all the way from New Zealand for the birth. And I had a pretty smooth and uneventful pregnancy. So really, I think I was in a pretty lucky situation. Hashtag blessed. Mm. Um, and, um, and I was working right up to labor, but I was able to work from home in the last week. So, you know, in all things considered, uh, everything was in a very good place. I went for my regular checkup at about 39 weeks, two days, I think. Uh, I was by then very, very sick and tired of being pregnant, even though everything had been going really well. I think it was probably the Singapore heat and humidity that just did it for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm. and I just could not stand, you know, lugging around that, that extra weight anymore. And at the checkup, my obstetrician told me, you know, she did, she checked um, and she said, look, there were no signs that I was going to be going into labor at any time soon, <laughs> um, you know. Hey, what, what did 
she check? So she how did she check? She um she told me to lie down and she checked my cervix, and she just uh, said, look, there, yep. it was it hadn't softened, it hadn't kind of dilated, mm-hmm. there was just no signs. And she's but I mean she did say, mm-hmm. look, um you know. It could happen very quickly. Sometimes it goes from nothing mm. to, 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 you know, action. But, yeah, yeah, nothing was indicating that it was imminent. So I, you know, at that point was pretty frustrated. And I asked the doctor, look, is an, an induction possible? Um, expecting if it was that I might have to, like, schedule something, come back and do it. She said, sure, do you want to do it right now? <laughs> and so... I, um, you know, there was like a whole waiting room of other pregnant ladies waiting outside. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's just do it. So she told me to lie back down and, um, and she, um, I, I don't know what it's called, but you know, she, she placed this thing up in the, around the cervix, which was meant to soften the cervix and, and have that kind of, um, encourage the onset of labor. Um, I don't know, Angela, if you know what that might be called. I think, it, I think it's the same thing that they ended up giving to me, the gel. Ah, uh, okay, okay, probably. Yeah. Yeah, most likely. So so she told me, look, you know, could be hours um, before anything happens. Just go home and wait it out. Um, she, she drew a little graph. She's like, you know, first, um, the, the, the uh, once the... Um, the labor starts, you know, the contractions might be um, 15, 20 minutes apart. They'll slowly get down to two to three minutes apart. You know, just wait it out. Be patient. You don't need to come to hospital straight away. So that's what we did. Went back to, we went back home, um, sat down to have some lunch. And then the contractions started and it was two to three minutes apart straight away. And, um, and I, I, I freaked out. I was like, this is not what's meant to happen. So I caught her up and she was like, okay, don't worry. Don't panic. You know, you're still talking to me, which means the pain's (laughs) not that bad yet. Just wait it out a little bit more. Um, so I, I, I did that. I hung up and, and tried to wait a bit longer. And then the contractions just got it, got started getting increasingly painful, um, increasingly, you know, kind of unbearable. And so, uh, you know, my husband, my mom, they were panicking around me. They're like, you know, well, let's just go to hospital. It's always just safest. We'll feel better once you're in hospital. So we did. We we set off for hospital. Um, and, you know, upon arrival, they were, the nurses were great. They got me in. They changed me into a robe. They immediately hooked me up to a CTG, which monitors the fetal heartbeat. Um, and this one allowed me to walk around a bit, which was nice. Um, and by then the contractions were about one to two minutes apart and getting, you know, more and more painful. At this point, um, I was given an enema, uh, which is this, um, kind of medication that encourages you to say, clear your bowels. (laughs) So makes you poop. Yes. So that, um, I think, you know, you don't end up making a mess on the, on the, uh, the birth table. Um, I think oh, it's, it, that was my worst. Fear. Yeah. Although, you know, it's a very common thing and, and, and I'm sure I probably still did it anyway. Just, you wouldn't even know, right? Like at that point, there's so much going on, but in any case, I think it's a fairly standard procedure in Singapore. So mm. they, they gave that to me, um, told me to hang on for a few minutes and then go to the toilet. 
Um, so there was a toilet attached to the birthing suite and boy, it was hard holding on. <laughs> Because, you know, you know you, you've got these contractions coming on every couple of minutes and then you have this urge to, to poo and it's just not, not a very uh, pretty sight or very comfortable at all. So anyway, uh, cleared my bowels and um, came back in. The doctor had come in by then. Um, she checked. She said, yes, you know, the, the um, cervix is softening and she put her fingers in there and manually broke my waters to um to you know further encourage the labor to come along how does she do that does she just use her finger because normally yeah i don't know in australia they use like a little hook they use an amnio hook does she just poke no just I, I don't think she had any equipment or tools with her she just stuck her finger <laughs> she I mean, had a manicure she had look she had gloves on but um <laughs> but otherwise the only thing i can use to describe it was it felt like she burst a balloon in there with her fingers. Ah, yeah. It was, except the balloon was inside you. It was, it was weird, uh, to say the least. But it, you know, then the water just gushed out. And if I thought contractions were bad before that, boy, it just kind of, you know, multiplied a hundred times in terms of the pain mm. levels once she, um, once she broke my waters. So... Um, so by that point, um, you know, I was in agony. I was trying to breathe through it. I was given gas that was completely useless. Um, and, um, and that really should have been, you know, when I got my epidural because I had always, I had decided very early on that I would get an epidural and, you know, there are people who, um, who, who choose not to and, uh, power to them. Uh, in fact, you know, uh, very, very impressive because now I know yep. what that pain <laughs> feels like. <laughs> but um, but I, I'd always, you know, read up the material and, and made the assessment very early on that I would get one. But, uh, but for some reason, I mistakenly thought that if you got it too early, uh, that it would wear off and then, you know, leave you to feel the worst part of the pain. <laughs> So <laughs> imagine if you were mid, you were mid push, and, it, and like, it, oh, it suddenly comes back. Yeah, that was my worst fear. So, so I was just kind of hanging <laughs> on there. I was like, oh my god, you know, let's just hang on. I can do this. Um, and and the gas was just making no, no, having no effect whatsoever. And that's when I um, called up the nurse. I was like, you know. Is, is can the epidural wear off you know how long should I wait until I get it and she's like oh don't be silly she's like you know people get surgery on um epidural and they they have it topped up for days on end like don't you worry you can get it anytime so so I'm like oh yeah okay get that anesthetist here right now <laughs> um and that's one other thing to to think to keep in mind right because anesthetist um, it could be somewhere else, you know, it can take a little bit of time for them to get here. Mm. And, and when mine arrived, I'm pretty sure he was in the middle of a golf game by <laughs> judging by what he was wearing. So, so the anesthetist was super, um, calm and, you know, very reassuring. He told me, took me through the risks. And then he said, look, uh, turn to your left, um, and, and kind of curl up in a fetal position. And then he prepped the, my back and, um, and then poked a needle into the kind of where um, the lower back where the spine is. Um, 
And, um, and for me, the effect was almost immediate. I think in less than a minute, uh, my pain levels went from about 100 to zero. Like it was so, mm. so effective that I could not even tell when I was having contractions anymore. I had to rely on the heart mon monitor to know. Um, so yeah, I, I, for me, it was extremely, extremely effective. And, um, and I willed away the, the next few hours with my husband kind of playing crosswords and just resting. <laughs> so I really can't complain about the next part of the labor because, um, you know, there, there was not much discomfort at all. Uh, the dilation went uh, progressed at about a centimeter an hour until the very last few centimeters that that was a bit quicker. And then, so I went in around lunchtime and at about 7.30 p.m. or so um, was when, you know, I was getting to uh, very, very close to, to, to the point where I could start pushing. Um, so at about like nine centimeters, nine and a half, the nurse rang the obstetrician to come in. Um, the nurse started prepping me for the birth. You know, she, um, she came in, she put my feet up in stirrups and, um, and she was saying, look, you know, uh, we're, we're nearly there. We're nearly there. You know, just breathe in, breathe out. She was, she was absolutely fantastic. She was so reassuring. She sounded so authoritative. Um, yeah, just, I think they, they are just so fantastic, these midwives. But, um, but it, despite all of that, I think, you know, something in my body knew that I was about to do something that, you know, was probably one of the most important things my body would ever do. And it just started shaking mm -hmm. completely out of control, like from, from head to toe, teeth chattering. Um, and I was like to the nurse, like, what is going on? And she's like, no, no, don't worry. This is completely normal. Um, so... Mm. Yeah, so, so that was one thing definitely that I had not expected or read up on beforehand that caught me off guard. Um, and then, so yeah, up went the leg, uh, legs in the stirrups. Uh, the midwife started watching the monitor, started counting me in, um, you know, uh, to um, in line with the contractions and, and started to guide me to start pushing. Um, at this point, the obstetrician still hadn't arrived and so she, you know, she was like counting me in and, and then said push. And, um, and for the f first few pushes, she was like, no, 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 you're doing it all wrong. Um, it was like, I, I think with the epidural, you know, there is a lack of sensation down there where you're not really conscious of how you're pushing. You're just more relying on muscle memory. So... I think when I first started, my pushes were kind of just directionless. I I think I was just kind of, mm. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing really. Just Pushing out. Yeah, just trying to kind of expel energy in some way, but not really doing anything with it. <laughs> so so I think she, um, you know, gave me some guidance. She's like, look, pretend as if you're actually pooing. <laughs> and really think about downwards, like when you're pushing think about it going downwards and then I think I got the um uh I I was able to actually you know um do it properly so 
after a few pushes, she was like, look, the head's kind of coming in and out, in and out. Um, but it was slowly, you know, crowning. And it was at the point that it, it crowned that the obstetrician arrived and, um, and, and, and sat down and, um, and guided me through the rest. So she, um, at, at one point, the head had crowned and, and she said, look, you know, the hair, you can see the hair of the head. And she asked my husband to come around for a look and he did mm. and came back looking very green. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was he was he helpful throughout the whole, you know, the pushing and everything? <sighs> to be honest, was he a bit I don't even remember his presence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's just say that it didn't make an instrumental, uh, you know, effect. It didn't <laughs> on the process. I mean, I think I, think I was, uh, you know, uh, he was squeezing his hands very, very hard. I think he will tell you that. But the the midwife, I thought, was a lot uh, more of a reassuring presence than he was. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, you know, uh, the the um, the doctor, the obstetrician, did do an episiotomy on me. Um, she had warned me about this earlier. Um, I'm not sure whether it was just a, a standard thing for her or whether it was more generally in Singapore, but she did say, look, that this is her preferred approach. She she does an episiotomy. She says that ensures that it's a cleaner cut for and, and easier to stitch up. Um, look, I, I trusted her. I said, look, if you think that's best, um, do what you think you need to do. So so she did do a small episiotomy on me. Um, the when the head finally came out, uh, the, the this we actually found out later on, the umbilical cord was wrapped around uh, the baby's head twice. Uh, sorry, neck, mm. and um, but she, you know, unwrapped that very very quickly, and there was no, um, it it didn't make any difference. It was she was completely oh, fine by that. Good. Although just yeah. in hindsight, that's a very scary thought. Um, that that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But um so no it was all fine. Um I found out later on I had a second degree tear, but she stitched me up very quickly. Um I think to be honest, after the head crowned it all happened in about fifteen minutes. And and you know, once wow. the head comes out the rest of the body kinda just slips out. You don't yeah, yeah there's not qu- not a whole lot of pushing after that. So yeah, so it all happened in a bit of a blur um, once the head was out. And as soon as Layla came out, you know, she plonked her straight onto my chest. Um, I had expected, I think, a lot more like blood and goo. But she, there was definitely blood on her. But it was more this white waxy material that she was covered in. Um, and, um, you know, she, she was there on my breast and I was... We were all very overwhelmed and then I look up and there is my husband with his phone um, in my face (laughs) going, say hi to your mom and dad. (laughs) Oh my God. So. uh, (laughs) You could have just kicked 
him, kicked him in the face. If I could have, I would have. Uh, but no. If you could move your legs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, interestingly, that was the other thing. And I was warned about it. But one side effect that the um, epidural had on me was my left leg, I think, was just completely numb. I couldn't feel it at all. Mm. And that, that wore away um, after the birth. But yeah, just, just one of those little things. So, so yeah, um, you know, that was kind of it. She was on my chest for quite a little while. Um, I was told, you know, I think in a prenatal class that she might try and uh, look for the nipple to start sucking, but that did not happen. Um, I think she was also quite tired from the experience and, um, and was just kind of looking around a little bit. And, uh, yeah, and then afterwards they, they took her, cleaned her up, weighed her, and... And we were wheeled up to a ward and given some toast and Milo, and that kind of ended our experience. <laughs> it's very, very Aussie, very Aussie of them, toast and Milo. I know, it was a nice, nice way to end it, I think. <laughs> nice, comforting way to end the birth experience. So that's my story. And then COVID hit and the world turned upside down. And Angela, you had to give birth through that. So tell us about your story. Now, I had Gabby just as COVID hit Australia, so it was around uh, April of this year, and I remember we were going to our appointments, and around around that time, sort of that's when you know the fears about COVID had started in Australia, and the hospitals were putting in all these new restrictions around visitors and around the use of you know things like gas where they were saying on some wards women wouldn't be allowed to use the um, the laughing gas because of fears about um, aerosol transmission and all of that. So I had originally wanted to do a vaginal, natural sort of vaginal delivery and just wait for, for her to be ready to come. But because no one sort of knew what was going on and we were all really worried that maybe ICU was going to get very swamped, the I had a discussion with the midwife and the obstetrician and they said, hey, look, if you wanted to induce a little bit early, that would be okay as well. Um, and if you if you know me, you know that you know I, one of my one of my biggest fears is having a gigantic baby because my husband is is um, very very tall so I thought okay 39 weeks baby will be smaller easy fantastic let's do it so we booked it in for 39 weeks um, I finished work a little bit earlier again because we sort of didn't know if COVID was going to be like the swine flu or H1N1 um, and I just thought oh I just thought why not just finish a bit earlier have some more time to you know do all the nesting and all the prepping um, so, so yeah, so I took the time off, spent all that time at home, which in retrospect was a mistake because I just got increasingly more anxious, especially because all the Aussies around that time, I don't know if, if you remember around that time, everyone was panic buying and you couldn't find any toilet paper on the shelves, you couldn't make find any meat on the shelves. So to do my nesting, I was trying to buy all of this all of this meat and couldn't get it anywhere. Um, and at the same time, I was worried I was looking like one of those doomsday preppers. So uh, anxiety was through the roof. 
at the at the same time we were doing a lot of things to try to prepare for the baby to come um the midwives had said that maybe expressing colostrum out into syringes would be a good idea so we tried to do a little bit of that um and we also did perennial stretches so the I wanted to come back to the colostrum because that's something that caused me a lot of anxiety as well because of the way that, um, because of what happens to your body when you express the colostrum, sort of priming the uterus and getting the uterus ready to deliver the baby. Um, it caused a lot of very long Braxton Hicks contractions and not having sort of felt them myself before, I freaked out about them. Um, and I thought, oh no, everything is getting too tight in the uterus and it's going to cause cause you know constriction to the baby and the baby's going to get squished and oh my god so I made my husband call the delivery suite where the midwife sort of said no 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 you're being very silly um and sort of just laughed at him and 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 then you know I I still wasn't able to relax until I had my obstetrician appointment where she also sort of laughed at me a little bit um but that gave me a lot of anxiety um, so I was very happy when finally we were able to go to the hospital for the induction. We Angela, did, were you anxious yeah. about going to hospital at all, like in the midst of COVID? Um, no, not really, because they had made a lot of, um, sort of the, the wards were all locked and yeah. you could only have one visitor. Um, so it was, yeah, it was okay. It was more sort of just the waiting and the waiting. And I had so many Braxton Hicks and I always thought every day, I thought, okay, today, today it's going to come. And then I know how come. that feels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so we originally planned for a balloon catheter and the idea was you would, uh, book into the hospital. You can, you know, Go in very calmly, take your time, go in, and then they insert what's called a balloon catheter, and that's sort of, sort of um, like a like a long tube with an inflatable balloon at one end, and the idea is they stick it up into your cervix, and they pump up the balloon, and the balloon is supposed to stretch out the cervix very slowly, and it's supposed to cause your body to release um, the hormone that it would normally release if you were to go into labor naturally. So we were trying to do that. Um, the trouble was Gabby's head was sitting very low in the vagina. So it was her head was sort of coming, I suppose if you imagine the vagina like a, a tunnel, her head was at the top and it was causing the roof of the tunnel to sort of sag down. And in the cervix, which is the entrance to the uterus, was behind the head, so behind the bit where it sags and right up in the in the very, very, very top end. So the poor nurses, they were trying to get this little balloon catheter underneath the head and then up the other side and then into this little hole um, and then try to blow it up. So obviously they couldn't find it. Um, the first midwife called another midwife and she had a little poke around and she couldn't find it either. So they, they said, hey, look, well, maybe we'll just use um, something else. We'll use something called prostaglandin gel. And the prostaglandin gel is supposed to soften up the cervix, essentially. So if you imagine it's, you know, tight, sort of like a balloon. Um, it's like tight and closed. And the idea is it's supposed to soften it up. So it sort of loosens and just opens up 
naturally as well. Um, and I was told that after it goes in, we'll go back to the room. Um, you can, we'll do a little bit of monitoring, but eventually the the sort of gentle contractions that it'll give you will stop and then you can probably go to sleep and then the next morning we'll take you down to birth suite and then we'll see if we need to give you some more medication to, to help it get going. Um, that is not what happened. So we went upstairs, they did a bit of monitoring on, on what's called the CTG where they sort of put the little belly bands around your tummy um, and then the midwife went away and we turned off the lights and we tried to go to sleep. But for, for some reason my contractions just got worse and worse and worse and I don't I don't think I sort of fully realised that they were contractions. Um, I just thought, oh, maybe I'm just being a bit dramatic, like it, it, it's probably just the, you know, the medication will go away, but then it just got worse and worse, and my husband was asleep the whole time in the bed next door, um, in, in, in the bed next to mine, um, and I called the midwife, and she said, oh, well, you know, do you want some morphine? Um, it, you know, it'll probably settle down, but, you know, if if it's really painful, we can give you morphine, we can give you Panadol or, um, you know. And I had decided beforehand that we weren't going to do morphine, so I said no to that. Um, I thought I was being very dramatic, so we just waited. But eventually it just sort of got very close together. I, I was recording it on an app, and I think maybe like sort of a minute to two minutes apart. Um, so we called the midwife. And she tried to find the cervix, but again, couldn't find the cervix. So they said, look, we'll just send you down to birth suite just in case. And the, the midwife said to me, oh, just tell them that you want an epidural so it doesn't look like we sent you down too early because at this point it was in the middle of the night. We um, we arrived at nine o'clock and sort of all of this happened in, in sort of the wee hours of the morning. Um, so we went down at this point I you know had the shakes and and it was it was quite sore <laughs> so we got down there and the um the the midwife down in birth suite try gave me some gas to try and let me tell you that gas just does not it does not do anything at all <laughs> it's not even a placebo thing like it just does absolutely nothing right no, I think maybe if you had a paper cut yeah. and then you had that, that would that would be very nice. <laughs> but I don't not know, for me, it didn't do anything. Absolutely not, absolutely not. Nick, um, my husband, said, oh, can I try some? And at that point, I was just, I was just not happy with him. So he did not get to try any. Um, so I got the gap. And the midwife tried to find the cervix again. I think she maybe she had longer fingers, or you know, she was just she was like, no, I have to find it. So she found it, um, and it was almost six centimeters. So sort of it was, you know, things were getting started. And she said, oh wow, okay, so let's call the anesthetist if you want the epidural. Um, and I think things had progressed so quickly. I hadn't originally wanted to get an epidural. But I thought, oh God, it's it's gone so quickly. Let's just let's just get one. What would you say your <laughs> so pain we... level was at by that point? Oh, goodness. Um, well, because because the the contractions would go away in between, mm. and you sort of you would have no pain. 
So I guess doing the contraction, I would say if zero was no pain and 10 was getting hit by a truck and, you know, having your leg torn off, I would say it's probably a seven, okay, maybe right. a seven. But were you, I mean, um, could you speak through the pain at that point? Um, I think I was screaming. Okay. Pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure I was. And then as soon as it was over, I'd say, "Oh no, I'm so sorry. That was really loud." Oh, <laughs> uh, polite to the T, Angela. <laughs> oh my goodness! And then I think I remember I kept saying, "Oh, I'm so sorry." You know, like, "I'm so sorry. I'm being so loud." And the midwife said, "No, that's fine." <laughs> This is this is what happens every day. These walls um, are made for screaming. <laughs> yes, these walls have heard a lot of screaming. So they called the anaesthetist um, out of bed. The anaesthetist came in, did the catheter, walked me through the consent process, and they sort of said, oh, we're going to be putting a needle in. These are the risks. And by that point, I just said, yes, 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 I agree to everything. Just, you know, give me the drugs. I want the drugs. So the anesthetist, um, what they do is you can either lie down or you can sort of sit at the end of the bed and bend over. So I did that. Um, and they have to do it in between contractions. And if you think by then the contractions were sort of a minute apart. So he was a very speedy anesthetist, which I appreciated. Um, and he was very fast, very good. And, you know, boom, and, you know, it was done. So once the epidural goes in, it doesn't automatically, it doesn't immediately start becoming effective. The sort of the needle goes in and they insert like a little catheter, um, which attaches to a bag of drugs. And then the bag of drugs has to slowly, I guess, infuse into, you know, into the area where it's meant to go. So it takes a little while. How long would you say it took so, for you to oof. feel the effect? Um, I I would say maybe uh, like between for for me to be comfortable enough to sort of talk, it was maybe f three to five minutes, oh, maybe five minutes. But like you yeah. could still it's you could still feel the pain. It just wasn't as bad. Um, and why? How long did it take for you? Um, it was. Fairly immediate. It took maybe like a minute oh, or so, nice. and um, and it went from basically like a hundred to zero. It was so it was so <laughs> effective that the only oh, way wow. I knew I was having a contraction was watching the CTG. Oh wow! Yeah. they must have pumped you like with a lot of with a <laughs> lot of the good strong. stuff. <laughs> maybe my anesthetist was a bit stingy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because um, I could, yeah, I could still feel it for for a while, and then, um, and then eventually, like I could still feel, I could still move my legs, I could still feel the urge to to push. Mm. Um, but yeah, so the by then the obstetrician had arrived, and it, it wasn't it wasn't an obstetrician that I knew; it was just whoever was on call that night. Um, he was very nice. Apparently, he was very handsome, but I don't remember him being very handsome. Um, so he arrives and he goes, "Okay, let's check again." Um, and he checks, and it's ten centimeters. So it was sort of literally just in time that we got the epidural in. Um, so he goes, "Okay, we're going to start pushing," um, and he offers me a mirror 
to sort of see what was going on down there and apparently oh, it's supposed to help God. you push <laughs> you can see absolutely you can see everything um but you know by then all modesty goes out the window so well wow, that's brave so yeah <laughs> oh i wouldn't say maybe it was morbidly morbidly curious <laughs> you want to see you know how people stop at the highway to see the car crash yeah. that's sort Can't of can't peel your eyes away even if like. you wanted to yeah <laughs> Well, I That's guess you're right. a doctor at the right. end of the day. There might be, you know, some level of professional curiosity there as well. Oh, I don't, I don't I think it's different when it's your own vagina. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So with the mirror there, you could, you could pretty much see the head coming out. Um, and it went sort of in and out and in and out and in and out for a little while because apparently I wasn't pushing right. And it gets, you know, it's really hard to push when you can't feel, because the epidural sort of, I guess it's different for everyone, whereas I could move my legs, I could feel my legs, but I couldn't feel the push in, like, in the pelvis. So apparently, I was puffing out my cheeks too much, and I was pushing out instead of down, and you were supposed to push down um so that went on for a little while and the obstetrician eventually said hey look it's not working out he got out his episiotomy kit he opened it up and he said look the baby's heart rate is dropping um so either you push it out or you know i'm gonna make an episiotomy cut and i really didn't want an episiotomy cut so I don't know, somehow, somehow I just did a massive push. I said, oh, crap, I don't want these, this cut, so we're just going to have to push it very out. Very effective threat. Um, very, always get out the knife and you threaten, <laughs> Works threaten in all to cut. Situations. Very <laughs> That's right. So, um, so yeah, and then she came, the head came out, and then once you get the head out, the rest of it sort of just flops out. Um, so her head came out and then sort of she was up to her torso and she, I could see it all in the mirror. Um, and then she sort of opened her mouth and spat out all of this fluid. And then she cried while she was still half inside and half outside. <laughs> that would have been quite an image in the mirror. <laughs> Oh, what well, we wish we I wish we'd recorded it. Nick was Nick was just <laughs> play it at her twenty first. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so she comes out. You know, they clamp the cord and they do sort of just they sort of just drag the baby and just dump her straight on your chest, basically. Yeah. Um, so you get this very wet, very white sort of vernixy covered. Um, the vernix is that sort of um, sort of yeasty kind of white sort of thing that they're coated in when they come out. So you know she's she's lovely and gross and covered in blood, and they they pop her on your chest. Um, and then apparently the placenta came out, but I don't remember any of that. Um, and and yeah, and that that was it. It was all done. Sort of under sort of gosh, how long had it taken? sort of less than six hours, I'd say. Um, we did bring a birth plan. They said prepare a birth plan, but it was still in the suitcase. We didn't get to use the birth plan. We bought all of this stuff. We bought music. We had um, <laughs> bought all of these things like massage and things to use, but because my husband was asleep <laughs> most of the first stage of labor, we didn't get to use any of that. 
Um, so, so yeah, and, and she comes out. The sort of the one thing that you don't really think about is after the baby comes out, you know, you, you have a baby. And I think we sort of prepped so much for the birth. I didn't really think about what, you know, what you were supposed to do once they gave you the baby. And once the baby comes out, everyone sort of just, it's sort of like the noise gets turned down in the room and everything goes very quiet and everyone leaves. So the midwife, you know, the anesthetist, the obstetrician, they all wander off and you're just there with with the baby. And um, it's it's a very, it's a very um, strange, very overwhelming, um, but very, you know, very wonderful, wonderful feeling. Um, and but also you're exhausted all, at that point yeah. too, right? Oh, absolutely, because we, we'd been up since since the morning and this was 24 hours later and I know that other people have had much longer labours than I have. So, you know, in, in, you know, compared to what other people went through, it probably pales in comparison, but by then I was exhausted um, and I had no idea what to do with, you know, with this, with this baby. Um, and, you know, was I supposed to put her on the boob? Was I not supposed to put her on the boob? I kind of felt like she should have come out with an instruction <laughs> manual and then you could, Don't you know, all. chapter one, chapter one, baby comes out, chapter two, put baby on, you know, that would have been very nice. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's my birth story. Well, there you have it, you know, our uncensored birth stories in all their blood and gory. I hope you've not been too grossed out. While no, no birth is ever fun and games, I think we can both be quite quick to admit that we both had relatively smooth birth stories, wouldn't you say, Angela? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, um, for both of us, it, it all went quite smooth, quite quickly, and we will be eternally thankful for it. In the months after becoming a mother, I've connected with quite a few new mothers and heard their own birth stories. And that's just made me feel even more grateful because, you know, say out of the mm -hmm. 10 or so stories that have been shared with me, two had their babies go into ICU, one had an emergency cesarean after an extended labor, one was two weeks early and another was almost two weeks late. And, you know, they were all first-time mothers too because you always hear, oh, first-time mothers often will go through birth, you know, will have labor in a certain way. Mm. And then, you know, if you're on your second or, or more babies, then, then they often go another way. But these are all first-time mothers and every story was so, so different from each other which just shows you birth stories come in all shapes and forms. You can read up all, all about it, but do not take it as a guidebook. Use these stories and other people's birth stories as a reference to prepare yourself for what can happen, but not as a guide for what should happen. Look, I think we're going to have to wrap it up for now because that is all we have time for today. Um... Thank you all so much for joining us. We hope you had a good time. And remember, no one really knows what they're doing. We're all figuring it out as we go along. And that's okay. Apparently Not was made by us, Angela and Amy, from our living rooms after our babies have gone to sleep. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave us a comment, or email us. You can find the address in our show notes. We would really love to hear from you. 
Until next time, thank you so much for listening. The content of this podcast reflects our personal experiences and opinions only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical or legal advice. If you have any concerns about you or your baby's health, please seek professional medical advice from a qualified healthcare provider.